Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Dow Jones was the only one of the major U.S. indexes to close the day higher. The S&P was down slightly. We had larger declines in the Nasdaq and the Russell 2000. But more importantly than uh, the movements that we've just seen on the day or even the week, uh, look at what's happened thus far during the month of October, which I had been warning uh, on my podcast looked like there could be a weak October, given where we were in the market, given how ridiculous the sentiment was in the face of overwhelming evidence uh, that the economy was, in fact, weakening. But if you look at the numbers, the Dow Jones is down 3.8% so far on the month. That's the best performing of the averages. S&P down about 4.7% on the month. NASDAQ Composite down 7.4%. The Transports, Dow Transports down 8.3%. And the Russell 2000, 9.2% decline. Remember, the Russell 2000 is where everybody wanted to buy. Earlier uh, last month, the talk was that you needed to be in the Russell 2000 because the rest of the world was in trouble. You needed a safe haven from all the turmoil around the world, that the U.S. was going to win the trade war. And, of course, the companies that had least you know, vulnerability to the trade war were the domestic companies that weren't multinational. And those are the kind of companies that you would find in the Russell 2000, small company U.S. stocks. So people were piling in. And those are the stocks that have done the worst, again, down 9 0.2% on the month. You know, while stocks were going down, gold was going up. Gold is up about 3% so far during the month of October. Gold stocks doing even better. GDX and GDXJ each up about 8% so far on the month. Bond yields continue to rise. They were higher today, higher on the week, higher on the month. And as bond yields are rising, the dollar is also rising, but ever so slightly. We're not seeing that much of a gain in the dollar. Uh, but ultimately, the dollar is going to turn around 
when people finally acknowledge what should have been obvious all along, that the U.S. economy is not nearly as strong as is generally believed, and it's certainly not as strong as the Federal Reserve uh, is claiming. You know, the FOMC minutes were out earlier this week, and once again, the Fed is displaying extreme confidence in the U.S. economy as it continues to uh, maintain its stance that it's going to continue to raise interest rates, that it's going to continue with its plan to shrink its balance sheet. And of course, that is the real reason that the markets continue to fall is that the Fed is continuing to threaten the markets with higher interest rates. You know, yesterday we had a pretty big drop in the markets intraday. The Dow surrendered some gains. And a lot of people in the media were trying to figure out, you know, what was to blame. And they were pointing to speeches that Kudlow made where he was talking tough against uh, China or Trump talking tough or even uh, European Union getting tough with Italy. I forget all the various excuses that everybody wanted to blame the decline on. But you know what? The market probably would have fallen even if none of those things happened. You know, when you're in a bear market, and I think there's a very good chance we are in a bear market. You don't need an excuse for the market to go down. The market just goes down. It's just that when people don't know that they're in a bear market, they're always looking for excuses. They can't accept reality, so they want to try to rationalize why the market is still going up, and so they like to blame a decline on some event so they can say, well, it doesn't matter, right? Just like, you know, oh, interest rates are going up for the right reasons, so we don't have to worry about interest rates going up. I mean, when are they not going up, right? The whole idea is, well, they're raising interest rates because the economy is good. Well, the Fed is always raising interest rates when they think the economy is good. Of course, a lot of times they're wrong. The economy is not good and they raise rates anyway, but the Fed is never raising rates when they think the economy is bad, at least not yet. That is what they are going to do. I mean, that's what they had to do when Paul Volcker was uh, Fed chairman because he had to stop inflation. So he had to raise rates to defend the dollar and to put out the inflationary fire even though the economy was weak. But that's the last time we had a Fed chairman that actually had to raise interest rates into an economy that he knew was weak. Now, that's exactly the choice that the Fed is going to have to make next time. They're going to have to raise interest rates into a weak economy. In fact, they're going to have to raise interest rates into a financial crisis, into a depression. And if they don't do it, we're going to have something even worse. We're going to have hyperinflation. That is the box that, unfortunately, the Fed has placed itself in based on years and years of this uh, monetary policy. But, you know, going back to the stock market, let's look at some of the standouts on the, the week and the month. Look at IBM, which came out with its earnings uh, earlier in the week. And IBM is really the poster child for manipulating its earnings, for cooking the books, for finding ways to beat the earnings numbers, even though their revenues continue to decline. And that was the case once again. They managed to really get their tax rate down, and that helped their bottom line beat. Even as the top line disappointed, IBM stock sank, stacked again today at a new 52-week low. IBM is now down 15% on the month of October. But IBM, not the only tech stock going down, advanced micro device, which was a high flyer and is still up pretty big on the year, but it's now down 23% on the month, 11% of that decline coming today all by itself. But it wasn't just the traditional tech companies that got beat up. Look at Netflix. Netflix put the N in FANG, right? Netflix actually beat earnings uh, and initially had a huge rally. But as is typical in a bear market, the rally did not hold. 
Netflix closed last week at 339. This week it got as high as 380, right, in the aftermath of that earnings beat. That was a 12% rise on the week. It finished down, down 4% today, down 2% on the week. So despite that big rise, it still managed to finish down 2% on the week. But the worst performing stocks on the day and probably on the week and probably on the month are the home builders. These things continue to get crushed. Down again today, 52-week lows on most of these names, most of them dropping 3 to 4% today. I think these stocks are now down 21 out of the last 23 days, something like that. I mean, they're almost always down. We have not seen home builders this week since 2007. Now, what was happening in 2007? Well, that was the year that the subprime market blew up. That was also the year of the start of the Great Recession, which began in December of 2007. It was also the year that preceded the 2008 financial crisis. That's the last time you had uh, home builders acting this way. And if you look at the news that's coming out that continues to drive them lower, look at the numbers that we got on existing home sales that came out today. Once again, way below estimates. The estimate was for a decline in September for existing home sales, which is the the bulk of the market, right? You have new home sales, you have existing, and most of the homes that are bought are existing homes. That's one person buying a home from somebody else who owns one and wants to sell. They were looking for a decline of 0.2%. Instead, decline was (laughs) 3.4%. And year over year, the drop was 4.1%. This is the sixth consecutive monthly decline in existing home sales, and it's the seventh consecutive year-over-year decline in monthly home sales. These are terrible numbers. You know, that's why the home uh, builders are collapsing, because their business model selling homes is falling apart. You know, for a while, uh, people were trying to blame the problem on a lack of supply. They said, well, you know, there just isn't enough homes on the market for buyers to choose from. And so that's why the sales are down. And I was laughing at that. You remember on my podcast, I said, that's crazy. It's not the lack of supply that's the problem. It's the lack of demand. People can't afford to buy the houses. That's why they're not selling. And now, if you look at what's happening, the inventory is building, right? Because people aren't buying. And so a lot of the homes that have already been built are just adding to the glut of unsold homes that's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, the the problem for the home builders in particular and why these stocks are just starting to fall. I mean, they've got a long way to go down. But the problem for the home builders is twofold. One, construction costs are going up. Inflation, uh, tariffs, it's more expensive to build homes. But the cost of taking out a mortgage is going up. Now we're at 5.1%, 5.2%. And so homes are getting more expensive to build, but they're getting even more expensive to buy because the mortgages, the rates are going up. And property insurance rates are going up. Property taxes are going up. Now, in, many, in some cases, you can't even deduct the property tax for your income tax. So the true after-tax cost of home ownership is going up. So basically, people aren't going to be buying new homes. And there's going to be a glut of them on the market. So there are going to be a lot of losses coming. In fact, talk about uh, canaries in the coal mine. Look at OZK Bank. 
That stock was down over 26% today. 52-week low. I mean, over a quarter of its market cap gone in, in one day. And why did the stock lose so much value? Because of their reserves, their loss reserves that they're having to build up for their bad real estate loans, right? And these are commercial loans. Part of it has to do with rental property, like, you know, shopping centers, uh, you know, uh, and sales are down. The malls and retailers, not only do you have the Amazon effect where people are buying online, but you have the fact that Americans are broke, so they're just buying less, period. They're just spending more money, but buying less stuff. And so a lot of their loans were going bad. In fact, you know, I talked on my last podcast about the bankruptcy of Sears and Roebuck. You know, I happen to look at another old school stock, JCPenney. Uh, that stock hit a 52-week low today of $1.42. It actually managed to close up three cents. But I mean, if you look at where that stock was a few years ago, JCPenney was a $40 stock, and here it is $1.52. It's almost going to be a penny stock. JCPenney is almost going to be a penny stock. Uh, that really shows you what's happening with the retailers. And so if you are making loans to retailers, you're going to have some problems. Um, but it's not just the, the retail space. They are also lending money for construction loans for residential housing. And they reported losses there. There's problems there. Now, I guess Wall Street is looking at this because in general, the financials were up on the day. But Wall Street is looking at a bank that is reporting big losses in lending related to uh, commercial real estate or residential real estate. And they're just ignoring it. Right. They're like, what is it? Oh, don't worry. The, the credit problems are contained to this one bank. I mean, no, this is like cockroaches, right? Where there's one cockroach, there's a lot of cockroaches. This is not the only bank that is exposed to the real estate market. Everybody is exposed to the real estate market. This is going to be a major real estate decline, not only residential, but commercial property. And all these commercial properties with low interest rates got artificially bid up. A lot of people own them. A lot of money was borrowed when money was cheap. Right now that the tide is going out, we see who is swimming naked. And pretty much everybody was swimming naked. I don't think anybody has a bathing suit. But the fact that the market could be so completely assured that it's contained, right? It reminds me of the subprime problem. Oh, don't worry. The problems are contained. They're not contained. They're not contained to this one bank, right? The whole financial system, remember I've been saying that rising interest rates are not good for the banks, right? That was the mantra on Wall Street, buy the financials because rising interest rates are good. What was I saying on this podcast would happen because of rising interest rates? I said, because of rising interest rates, loans that have already been made are going to go into default and the collateral behind those loans is going to go down and that is going to mean losses. And that's exactly what just happened to this bank. And the thing imploded. Higher interest rates aren't helping. Higher interest rates are hurting. And of course, as interest rates go up, fewer people can afford to borrow, right? You know, when interest rates are cheap, you have a lot of customers who want loans. When rates go up, not as many people can afford to take out the loan. So this is unequivocally bad. Rising interest rates are bad for the financials. Look, lower interest rates was good for the financials. I mean, that's an example of Wall Street trying to have its cake and eat it too. When interest rates are going down, oh, this is great for the financials. Buy the financials. When interest rates are going up, oh, this is great for the financials. Buy the financials. 
Who are these analysts? They all work for the financials. They all work for the banks. So is it any wonder that no matter what is happening with interest rates, it's bullish for the for the banks where the analysts work who are following all these stocks? But the reality is lower rates were good for the banks. They were lousy for the real economy, but they were good for the banks. But as rates go up, the whole house of cards that was erected right on top of these low interest rates comes tumbling down. But getting back to the problems with the real estate market, what is going to happen, though, with supply is supply is going to explode, right? All of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of houses for sale, not because we're going to be building more houses, but because a lot of the houses that were not on the market are going to come on the market. And the reason is going to be higher interest rates, because you've got a lot of people that own homes right now, uh, and they've got mortgage payments, and some of these homeowners have adjustable rate mortgages or they have home equity lines of credit and and those mortgages are getting more expensive which means it's becoming more expensive to stay in their homes right also maybe their local property taxes have gone up uh, their property insurance rates have gone up so the cost of being a homeowner is going up and a lot of people no longer get a tax benefit thanks to the new tax laws a lot of people who used to itemize their deductions are no longer itemizing and if you're not itemizing well you don't you know you don't get any tax break for owning a house so I do think that a lot of people who bought houses recently or who own houses are going to be rethinking their decision and they're going to be putting their houses on the market for sale then of course there are other people if real estate prices start to fall, one of the reasons that some people continue to make their payments, even if they have to struggle, is because they have home equity. But if the real estate prices go down because of the glut of supply and because interest rates are going up, so prices have to come down to make real estate affordable to buyers, well, if you no longer have any home equity, well, then why throw good money after bad? I mean, why struggle to stay in a house if you're spending 40, 50% of your income in your house and you don't even have any equity? Just get out, right? So you're going to have that happening. And then, of course, as the recession really kicks off, people are going to lose their jobs. And if you lose your job and you have no savings, well, you got to put your house on the market, right? Or maybe you just stop paying your mortgage. But all of this is going to, you know, weigh on the housing market. We are just getting started. And of course, if housing is in a recession, how is the overall economy going to avoid a recession? And again, it's not just housing, it's autos. I mean, General Motors hit a new 52-week low today. I think it did manage to close positive. It did, but it made a new low on the day. Ford couldn't eke out a gain. It almost got back to unchanged, but it was at a new 52-week low on the day. But you have the uh, housing stocks and the automobile stocks, you know, big you know, sectors of the economy sinking to 52-week lows. I mean, there's going to be a lot of layoffs in these sectors. And again, look at the retailers. The retailers are just starting to drop. I mean, we saw uh, the ones related to housing, like Home Depot and Lowe's got beat up pretty good this week. But a lot of the other retailers are rolling over again. You know, look at the New York Fed. The New York Fed came out today and lowered its forecast for Q3 and Q4 GDP. For Q3... They're down to 2.1%. And for Q4, they're down to 2.4%. Now, if the New York Fed is right, and I still think they're probably overly optimistic, especially when it comes to Q4. I mean, I think Q4 will be lucky, will be lucky to have even a one handle on Q4, right? I mean, Q4 could even be negative. But 
let's assume that the New York Fed is correct on their estimates. If you take the first two quarters, which we have, which was 4.1 for Q2 and uh, 2.1 for Q1. So if you add all four together, you get 2.7% economic growth for the entire year. Now, that would mean that just like Barack Obama, Donald Trump would have failed to achieve a single year of 3% growth during his presidency. Granted, it would have been two years, but neither of those years would have hit 3%. Meanwhile, he's going around the country giving speech after speech, bragging about the fact that we've got 4% economic growth, something that Obama never achieved and something that everybody said was impossible. Well, so far, he hasn't achieved it either, and it doesn't look like he is going to achieve it. In fact, I believe that this year, 2018, is going to be the high watermark for GDP growth for the Trump presidency, which I don't believe will be two terms. I believe it's only going to be one term, but I think this is going to be uh, the the uh, the highest level that we get. Meanwhile, you know, debt is through the roof. If you look at the amount of money that Trump is borrowing in his first two years as president, he is dwarfing the debt that Obama was racking up in his final two years of his presidency. In fact, we're almost exactly where Obama was for the entirety, I think, of of his second term. Trump has been averaging about $85 billion a month in debt, just over $1 trillion per year if you annualize the amount of borrowing. But again, we're borrowing all this money when the economy is supposedly booming. Imagine how much we're going to borrow when it busts. In fact, the housing data has not been this bad since the financial crisis, since the recession, yet the economy is booming. I mean, if the housing market is this weak in a booming economy, what's going to happen to the housing market in a recession, right? I mean, this is just the tip of a huge iceberg that everybody is refusing uh, to acknowledge exists. And, you know, this is exactly what was going on back in 2007, 2008. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was 10 years ago, uh, that people were ignoring signs that were so obvious to me uh, and, and you know, nobody cared. I mean, it's happening all over again. And the thing with me is, you know, I had been predicting a collapse based on the housing bubble for years and years before it happened. That's why when all of a sudden, finally, uh, some signs that what I was saying was coming true, right, were, were, were there, were obvious, it, they were obvious to me because they were long overdue because I had been expecting stuff like that. But even when that stuff happened, the people who had no idea it was a bubble, they just, you know, they just dismissed it. They couldn't care. And that's what's happening now. You know, whereas I've been warning about this problem for a long time because this problem has been building up for a long time. And now all of a sudden, finally, after all of these years, things are happening which are screaming, right? Aha, right? I've been right, right? Here, this stuff is now happening that I've been forecasting. These are the sure signs that, you know, the collapse is near. Yet the mainstream is completely oblivious because they have no idea that there's a problem. If you don't know you're in a bubble, then you don't see the pins, right? I've been calling this bubble for a long time, and finally, it's pin, 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 right? And, you know, nobody sees it. That's like with the canary. I said, you know, here you have a canary in the coal mine with a bank that's blowing up. 
That happened with the subprime market. You had some of the big-time subprime lenders going bankrupt in 2007, and nobody cared. I was saying, like, hello? I mean, is anybody listening here? Can't you see the significance? In fact, I remember on the subprime short, when some of this stuff was blowing up, for a while, the subprime mortgages didn't even go down. I remember some of the people were short, were kind of accusing Wall Street of manipulating these markets because all this bad news was coming out and the mortgage market wasn't even being affected and it didn't even make any sense. And then all of a sudden, it was like a trap door opened and it fell through. And I think that's what's going to happen again on a bigger scale. People are in denial right up until the very end and they ignore all the signs that would be obvious if they simply knew what to look for. But because they don't know, then they don't see them until it's too late. And then after the fact, you know, they're looking for scapegoats and they're trying to claim that whatever happened, nobody could have predicted it, that it came out of left field. It was impossible. Look, this is already the longest bull market in history. Is it so crazy that we should have a bear market? This is the second longest economic expansion, right? Would it be a crazy thing if we had a recession? Of course not. I mean, it w- what would be crazy is if we don't have one. What would be crazy if the bull market kept on going? Yet that's what everybody expects, right? Because everybody thinks this time it's different, right? That's th- like the same thing as saying, you know, we're raising interest rates, but we're doing it for the right reasons. As if, you know, this time it's different because all the other times the Fed has raised interest rates and caused a recession. Well, were they raising them for the wrong reasons? But now they're raising it for the right. No, people want to ignore the fact that rising interest rates are bad for an over-leveraged economy. Lower interest rates is what created the bubble. It's what created the whole boom. And now the fuel is being removed. But ultimately, because of this bubble, because we kicked the can down the road for so many years, the problems that I was worried about, the problems that I was trying to encourage investors to protect themselves from, those problems are so much bigger than they were five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Much bigger. And the need to protect yourself is that much greater. What's, again, frustrating to me is to see clients throwing in the towel, telling me, you know, I've given the strategy enough time and I'm just going to do something else. You know, if, if, you've, if you've been in this, my investment strategy, which is investing outside the United States, investing outside the dollar, uh, having exposure to uh, precious metals, if you've been in that strategy for a while, you haven't given it enough time because it hasn't played out yet. There is no predetermined time limit that the strategy takes. It takes as long as it's necessary. You don't know how big a bubble is going to get before it pops. And just because it's been getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you can't just assume it's never going to pop. And of course, the worst thing that you can do is get in into the bubble, right? Get into the U.S. stock and bond market because you've you've missed out on the party for so long that you just want to join it just as you know the police are getting ready to raid it. And all these signs are out there and there are people who just can't tell What's going on? But this is just like it was in, uh, you know, in, in, in 2007, 2008. The only difference, and I talked about this on the podcast before, the only difference is that going into the 2008 crisis, I was making money hand over fist because gold was going up. The dollar was tanking. Oil was soaring. So as I was warning about a crisis, right? The dollar was already falling. Gold was already rising. So when the crisis happened, those markets reversed. This time, it's much better because 
the dollar has been rising and gold has been falling. Everybody is overinvested in the U.S. and underinvested in the rest of the world. That was the opposite of the way it was in 2008. It's just that the financial problems in 2008 basically, you know, reverberated throughout the world. It caused problems in the the whole global financial system, which hurt a lot of the foreign markets. But this time, it's going to be the opposite. Instead of running towards the blast, people are going to want away from the blast. Now, the foreign markets are ripe for the picking. It's the U.S. market that's so expensive and so overbloated, and the dollar is very expensive. Gold is really cheap. People are short gold. They're not crowded long like they were in 2008. So, This is a great time for people to be adding to their accounts, not closing their accounts. This is a great time for people who don't have accounts to be opening up their accounts. You know, people who are in the U.S. stock market don't be lulled into a false sense of confidence that this is just a correction and you should ride it out. It is probably not a correction. It is probably the beginning of a bear market. In fact, I think the bear market actually began earlier in the year. I think it began January, February of this year with that first decline. It's just that the major averages went on to make new highs, but a lot of the stocks did not. The breadth of the market was very bad, and beneath the surface, there was a stealth bear market going on that nobody knew about. Now, all of a sudden, the bigger stocks are starting to fall. They're starting to fall with a vengeance, and of course, the crowd, again, doesn't get it. They never get it. Uh, So they think it's a correction. But this is the beginning of the real bear market. And what should be scary for all the optimists is that the elections are coming up. The midterm elections are coming up in November. Uh, We could have a much larger decline in the stock market between now and then. And that is going to make it even harder for Republicans to retain uh, control of Congress. I mean, if the market falls far enough, right? I mean, the only thing that's really different between the economy now and the economy under Obama is the degree to which people are confident, right? Because the the job growth is just not there. I mean, if you look at the job growth under Trump, the non-farm payrolls, they're printing about the same, if not a little bit less, than we were getting consistently under Obama. So the pace of job creation has not improved. It's actually gone down. Labor force participation has not gone up. Wages have gone up a little bit more in nominal terms, but not in real terms because inflation has gone up. So we haven't seen an increase in wages. We're not seeing an increase in employment. Yes, the official unemployment rate has continued to fall. Just like it was falling under Obama, it continued to fall under Trump. There's no difference there. It's just you know extending the line. So the fact that the unemployment rate is now lower than it was when Trump was elected doesn't mean that Trump did anything Uh, To change that, it's just a continuation of what was going on. What has changed, of course, is optimism. There are a lot of people that are now more optimistic than they were before, particularly Republicans. Republicans were very pessimistic under Obama, and they're overwhelmingly optimistic under Trump. And since most of your small business owners tend to be Republicans, you're obviously seeing a lot more optimism among business owners because they're biased based on their own uh, political uh, perspective. They believe things are going to get better, and so that belief is reflected in their optimism. And it may even be reflected in some of their hiring and some of their other decisions to invest money because they, they are optimistic about the future. Now, their optimism is unfounded. Their optimism is wrong, and they're going to find out about that. And of course, that's one of the reasons that this recession is going to be so bad is 
because people are so ill-prepared for it. And again, most people are not prepared for recession. They get blindsided. But this time, people are so overwhelmingly optimistic, you know, more optimistic than they normally are before a recession. I mean, typically, people are optimistic right before a recession. But this time, they are incredibly optimistic. So I think to the extent to which they have made bad decisions, whether they got over leveraged or they're overstaffed or whatever position they're in, when the recession hits them by surprise, they're going to have to make much more substantial cuts uh, to their you know, capital spending to their to their payrolls. And so it's going to be particularly hard hit. And of course, again, the recession is going to be exacerbated by the fact that the Fed doesn't have a long way to cut rates as a stimulus, really has to go immediately to quantitative easing. And of course, since I think this is going to blow up and just cause the dollar to crash and consumer prices to rise, this is going to be stagflation. And stagflation is not just going to be an economic disaster. It is going to be a political disaster. And by the way, I was reading these articles, too, about Donald Trump and how he may react to a Democratic Congress. And it's pretty much exactly what I've been saying. I think that if the Democrats take control of Congress, that Trump will work with the Democratic Congress, just like he worked with a Republican Congress, to help achieve uh, their objectives. Now, obviously, what was the objective of the Republicans? Tax cuts. They always want tax cuts. So Trump delivered. We got tax cuts, but no spending cuts, right? In fact, spending increase. So nothing that can hurt the Republicans politically, right? They didn't attack the deficit. Remember, the Republicans were deficit hawks when Barack Obama was president. They're happy to see the deficit reduced when it's a Democratic president that reduces it. But they don't want a Republican president to reduce the deficit with their help. They want cover for the deficit. So they, they immediately forget the deficit. And we just want tax cuts because we want red meat for our base. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to create a political issue. We don't want the Democrats to be able to say, you know, we cut some program and, and worry about getting elected. So Trump worked with the Republicans to get Republicans what they wanted. Well, if he has to work with Democrats to get more victories, more, more, you know, just, you know, feathers in a cap that mean nothing, right? Well, he's going to work on spending programs. We know the president wants infrastructure. He's going to get a big trillion dollar make work, you know, pork barrel Keynesian stimulus bill that he's going to sign. Now, some Republicans will probably stand on principle to object to it, but a lot of Republicans are going to be afraid to object to anything Donald Trump wants to do because Donald Trump is the most popular uh, guy now in the Republican Party. So if the Democrats take over Congress, you better believe there is going to be spending increases like we've never seen. I mean, you know, you're going to go back, you know, to great society type programs. I mean, who knows what we might have with uh, Trump as president, especially in a recession, because Trump knows that if he vetoes any spending bills, any stimulus bills that the Democrats pass, if he vetoes it, then if the recession gets worse, he's going to take the blame. And so he doesn't want to take the blame for anything. So he's going to sign whatever piece of crap the Democrats put in front of him. And so we're going to get deficits blowing through the roof during the second half of the Trump term. Again, if we are running trillion dollar a year deficits, and that's the real deficit, not the $780 billion that they report, although they're forecasting fiscal 2019, $1.2 trillion in deficits, which means the national debt will probably grow by $1.7, $1.8 right? And that's assuming there's an economic expansion. 
if we get a recession, then you're talking two to three trillion dollar deficits. And then, of course, if we have stimulus programs, I mean, it's off the charts. But none of this is going to work because even if Trump signs a Democrat stimulus to get us out of a recession and it doesn't work, Trump is still going to get blamed for putting us in recession in the first place because he's going to be the guy that supposedly wrecked the great economy that he inherited from Barack Obama. And how did he wreck it? By cutting taxes for the rich and starting a trade war and deregulating and and gutting Obamacare. And everything that he's claimed credit for, they're going to hang that around his neck like an albatross, assuming he runs for re-election. Although I, I don't think Mike Pence would fare any better. In fact, Pence would probably be an even worse candidate and go down in even more flames than than would Trump. Uh, But Trump is going to be held responsible no matter what he does for the mess uh, that everybody believes he made during his presidency. And it's all because he claimed everything was so great so early, right? It's like, you know, getting out to a big lead uh, in in a game and then you just cave, right? And you just fold and you end up losing. But you can't celebrate at the beginning if you get a lead and just, you know, let the whole thing fall apart because that's what's going to happen. And now Trump is going to be blamed for that loss. You know, right now he keeps saying, oh, we're winning, we're winning, we're getting tired. America keeps winning, winning, winning. Well, by 2020, we're going to be losing on everything. It's going to be a loss across the board for everybody when we are in a deep recession, when we are in a bear market, and we not only have recession, but we have inflation at the same time. We have an increasing cost of living just as people's assets are falling, their paychecks are falling. And now, you know, what is the Fed going to do? You know, Donald Trump is making a big deal now fighting the Fed. Oh, the Fed has gone crazy. Uh, The Fed is my biggest enemy. You know, the Fed is too independent, right? Well, what if the Fed actually starts raising interest rates in the recession? I mean, if Trump is beating up on the Fed now for these tiny little quarter point hikes, imagine if the Fed has to really start jacking interest rates up because the dollar is falling. Now, I think that it's not going to happen. I think they will put enough political pressure on the Fed uh, to prevent them from doing that, which means a real currency crisis is coming. Whether that currency crisis hits before the 2020 election or after, hopefully hopefully after. I mean, because at least if it, if it completely hits the fan, Right? If everything just goes to hell in a handbasket in 2022 or 2023, then at least we have a hope. Then we have a hope of some kind of backlash for 2024. Right? Because if the, uh, the socialists get control of the economy just before it really goes off the edge of a cliff, right? I mean, they inherit something bad and it gets a whole lot worse, then maybe, maybe there's a, there's a shot of, uh, of a backlash into a real free market libertarian approach. But I mean, that's just the optimism in me. I mean, that's just me just being, uh, you know, optimistic and seeing the glasses half full because it's very possible that the, co- the complete collapse is basically going to uh, be the obituary uh, for free market capitalism as we know it in America. And this rise of democratic socialism is really going to be emboldened by this crisis, because more and more of the uneducated or government indoctrinated electorate is going to buy into this myth and buy into the false promise of of socialism and and big government, right? And so we could be in for generations of economic ruin and stagnation as a result of what's going to happen. And, And that is the real scary part. And I can help people protect 
their investments, their savings. I can help protect people from a dollar decline and from massive inflation. But there's not much I can do about that. I mean, because if, you know, we have uh, civil unrest, if we have, you know, real uh, political upheaval. I mean, if you think it's bad now, you know, the, the arguments between the left and the right, if you think this is bad, where do you see what happens in in a real a horrible inflationary depression. I mean, when we really have a bad economy and we have more uh, substantial things to argue about than whether or not Brett Kavanaugh had too much to drink uh, when he was 17 years old, right? I mean, we're arguing about that stuff. But could you imagine the, the tone and the, of, of the, the political discourse when people are hungry, when people are waiting in line for gasoline and waiting in line for food, when they're rolling blackouts, I mean, when things are really bad, because that's what's coming. And so if things, are, if things are as bad as they are now, when things are relatively good, you know, compared to what's, what's going to happen. So it's a scary time. But the, the one thing that I can control is what I do with my own money and what clients do with their money. Right, this, and, and this is going to be an, an important decision that, that people need to make. I mean, do you want to go down with this ship or do you want to do something to save yourself? Because you, we, could, we, can, we can't prevent what's going to happen. I mean, even if everybody who listens to my podcast voted libertarian or, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're not going to change the outcome of any of the elections, right? Th- this ship is going to hit the iceberg and there's not a damn thing we could do about it. The only thing we can do is do something to protect ourselves. We can't stop the crisis, but we can profit from the crisis. And you know, maybe that sounds bad. Hey, you want to profit from a crisis? Well, I mean, it's better than suffering from a crisis. If you have a choice, right? You know, do you want to lose money in the crisis or do you want to make money? And it's not even so much about making or losing money. It's about purchasing power. Because there are a lot of people who may not lose money, but their money may lose most of its value or maybe all of its value. And so what good is money that doesn't buy anything? So people have to be uh, prepared, particularly people who are older, who uh, are nearing retirement age. Because I think the biggest losers, the biggest casualties of this collapse are going to be people who are uh, retired. You know, in the 1970s, Right? And I've mentioned this before, but we had the big decline in the dollar. Dollar lost about two-thirds of its value in the 70s. And the result of that was women started working right? because their husbands could no longer afford to support them. So women who didn't have to work, who were able to stay at home uh, with the kids, had to go and, and, and get into the workforce because what their husband was earning no longer could make ends meet because the cost of living had gone up because the dollar had gone down. So the dollar value of your paychecks were going down. So... This time, it's not going to be the women who are going to enter the workforce because they're already there. The people who are going to enter the workforce are the baby boom who have been leaving the workforce. A lot of the people who have been retiring, they're the ones that are going to have to rejoin the workforce because their retirement uh, savings are going to be eviscerated. Social Security is going to be worthless. Whatever they've managed to save is going to get destroyed through inflation. So you're going to have an influx of people who used to be retired back into the labor force. Now, what jobs they're going to perform, I really don't know, but they're going to have to do something. But it's going to be a life-changing event. Now, if you want to avoid that fate, if you want to maintain the integrity of what you've worked your life to accumulate, you've got to take action. You've got to get out of Dodge. You know, you've got to get your money invested. That's what my portfolios are designed to do. I'm designing portfolios of quality dividend-paying companies around the world in the countries that I think are going to be the true safe havens in value investments with good yield in currencies that I think are going to retain their value relative to the dollar. I mean, grow 
uh, relative to the dollar. So I think they will be able to provide a meaningful source of income so that if you're retired, you can stay retired because the dividends will rise as the dollar falls and now you can afford the higher cost of living. And if you have some of these gold stocks, I mean, I think the potential here on these stocks, 10 times, 20 times, some stocks will go up 50 or 100 times. You know, if gold goes to five, ten thousand $10,000 an ounce, I could go higher than that. And I, and I, you know, most people have, have no uh, investment in gold at all. Oh, and by the way, Bitcoin has, you know, another flat to down week, I think. Another uh, example of people not moving into uh, a Bitcoin. It's still trading around $6,400. And I keep listening uh, to some of the commentators and they keep thinking that the fact that it has just been quiet for so long, that it means it's building a base and it's getting ready to explode for another big up move. To me, I mean, that's wishful thinking. I mean, is it possible? Sure, sure, it's possible. I mean, it could go up. But I think it's more likely that it's just buying time before the next collapse. I mean, I think if this really was the support, they wouldn't be hanging out down here giving everybody and their brother time to buy the lows. I mean, the markets are usually not forgiving. You usually don't get all this time to buy the lows. This is usually a trap. It's a value trap. They're trying to sucker people in by creating the false sense of support and foundation just before the bottom drops out of the market and we have the next big decline. And I think, and I've been saying this for a long time, I think the breakdown in Bitcoin is going to coincide with the breakout in gold. I think as people, investors, rediscover real gold and as real gold starts to perform, then the demand for all that fake gold is going to evaporate. 